I'm Daniel Levine, and this is Rarecast. Bellis Health was originally formed around technology seen as the basis for promising therapeutics for Alzheimer's disease, but the company also pursued rare disease opportunities as well. Despite encouraging results, the financial crisis made it difficult for the company to advance its potential Alzheimer's therapy. With a new CEO put in place, the company overhauled its strategy, outlicensed its Alzheimer's drug, and embraced its identity as a rare disease drug company. We spoke to Roberto Bellini, CEO of Bellis Health, about the transformation of the company, the changing environment for orphan drugs, and why being a rare disease drug company is an attractive business model today. Roberto, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Daniel. It's great to be here today. Perhaps we can begin with AA amyloidosis, a, a rare disease resulting in kidney failure. What is AA amyloidosis? What's known about the disease, and its causes and progression, and, and what treatment options are there, if any? So AA amyloidosis is, is, is a rare disease. And if we think about uh, the patients that are affected by AA amyloidosis, uh, they're all patients that have some kind of underlying inflammatory condition. Uh, so mainly, these are patients that have rheumatoid arthritis uh, or that may have uh, a chronic infection. Uh, we're seeing more and more patients with cystic fibrosis or with HIV that develop AA amyloidosis. Uh, and essentially, um, these patients have uh, uncontrolled inflammation. Um, and in these patients, and in this uncontrolled inflammation, there's an elevation of an endogenous protein. So a protein that we all, that we all have that's in all of our bodies, it's called AA amyloid. And when there's too much of it, it's a very sticky protein. It starts forming these toxic fibrils and eventually starts depositing in the, form of, in the forms of plaques. These plaques actually deposit systemically. They, they deposit in in your fat, they deposit in your, in your heart, uh, but where they really hurt you is at the level of your kidney. So these patients have uh, a rapid decline uh, of kidney function, usually from diagnosis. Uh, they're on dialysis and have kidney failure usually within seven to eight years. Uh, and that's important for a number of reasons, uh, one of which is that dialysis Dialysis is extremely expensive for the healthcare system, but even more importantly, from the patient perspective, um, it's a very poor quality of life. You're often at the hospital uh, for two to three days a week. Uh, and on top of that, these patients have a very poor prognosis uh, on dialysis. So they're, they essentially die usually within one to two years uh, once they're on dialysis. There are, in effect, no direct or specific treatments for AM lidosis. Uh, currently, doctors will try to aggressively treat the underlying disease, so try to aggressively give uh, biologics to, uh, to these patients that have rheumatoid arthritis to, to control the inflammation. Uh, but most of these patients are not really responding to current therapies. Um, so uh, generally speaking, they're progressing quite rapidly and eventually, like I said, leading to, uh, to, to kidney failure and death. Well, your, your experimental drug, Kyacta, is in late-stage studies. What do we know about the drug and its, its mechanism of action? So Kyacta is actually designed to form to these 
um, to the amyloid protein, so the AA amyloid protein, not allowing it to form those fibrils, uh, and essentially allowing the body to naturally clear them. Uh, and what we've seen when we've given this drug to patients, we actually conducted uh, a very uh, significant uh, landmark study uh, in the amyloidosis field, a study that was uh, conducted over about four and a half years. We recruited 180 patients and treated them for, for two years. So this is a two-arm study uh, where we treated half of the patients with Kiakta and half of the patients uh, with placebo. And we're essentially looking for uh, events of kidney function deterioration. Uh, and these events are based on either uh, are based on either kidney biomarkers or on reaching dialysis per se. Uh, and what we saw was that there was a marked reduction in the number uh, and the time to these events, uh, about a 42% reduction in the risk of reaching these events on Kiakta versus uh, placebo. And I, I know that that's a little bit technical, but what it really translates into patients is up to a two-year delay in reaching dialysis, which is very significant and clinically meaningful for these patients. Well, you're also looking at Kiakta as a possible treatment for sarcoidosis, a, a rare inflammatory condition that affects the lungs. Is, is this a similar disease in, in terms of what's happening within the body? Like in, in, in many cases in, 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 drug, in drug development, there is a little bit of serendipity when it comes to uh, Kiakta uh, for the treatment of sarcoidosis. Um, they're, not, uh, they're not the same disease, but they are caused, they are both caused by an inflammatory cascade. Um, and in fact, it was an idea of a researcher at the Mount Sinai Hospital in, in, in New York. This is a referral center uh, for sarcoidosis in, in the U.S., um, that approached us and wanted to uh, to test Kiakta uh, in this patient population. So um, he actually had a hypothesis uh, that uh, serum amyloid A, so the precursor to amyloid A, uh, would be involved is, or is involved uh, in the inflammatory cascade in sarcoidosis. He knew that Kiakta uh, acted on this on this protein and wanted to test it in his internal models. So he did that. Those those results came out positive. Um, and, and so in fact, we came to an agreement with him, uh, to actually move forward in terms of testing, uh, Kiakta in this second, uh, in this second rare disease. And sarcoidosis is a, is, is another very, uh, very high unmet medical, uh, unmet medical need. It's a disease, um, where these protein balls are essentially formed in the lungs, um, causing lung scarring and decreased lung function. There's about 100,000 patients in the U.S. Um, and most of these patients are actually quite well controlled by, uh, by steroids, but about 10% of them have a chronic form and they rapidly progress and eventually uh, deteriorate in lung function, and a fair number of them die as well. Recently, you, you rebranded the company as a, a rare disease company. When you began in 2009, what exactly was the vision for Bella's Health? So essentially, Bella's Health, um, you know, if I, if I take one step backwards, Bella's Health was first formed uh, in the early 2000s on uh, technology that was an anti-amyloid technology. It was a spin-off from Queen's University. Uh, and amyloid is actually a family of different diseases. There's over 25 of them. Uh, there's 25 different proteins, and they're, they're linked to 25 different diseases. And, and so essentially, when the company first started moving forward, um, it went into two very distinct areas. And it went into a high-risk, high-return area um, that was Alzheimer's disease. So this is actually the most 
commonly known amyloid disease. Um, and obviously, we all know about um, about how terrible this disease is and how many people it, it affects. But the actual role of amyloid in that disease isn't as well uh, understood, and that's why it was seen as high risk. Um, and they also went into a second path, a more uh, a niche path, um, and this is where they developed Kiacta for A amyloidosis, so a different compound for a different disease, uh, but where. Uh, the researcher felt the researchers, researchers felt that there was a very clear understanding of the mechanism of the disease and the role of amyloid within that disease. Um, there was, however, a more niche patient population, so it was seen as lower risk from a scientific perspective, um, but with a, a a more niche kind of uh, uh, potential. And so, essentially, uh, fast forward seven years later. Um, uh, I, you know, my background is actually from a family office that invests in the in the biotech space, and we help this company finance very large studies in both of these uh, in both of these uh, indications in Alzheimer's disease uh, and in and Kiacta for A amyloidosis. The Alzheimer's disease study showed some some signs of efficacy, um, but this was also during the financial crisis in 2008 and 2009. It was very difficult to raise uh, further financing to continue the studies in in Alzheimer's disease. Um, and the results for Kiacta and amyloidosis from that study that I mentioned earlier were very promising. We also had a very clear path to getting approval. We had discussed with um, the key regulatory agencies, FDA in the U.S. Uh, and uh, EMA in, in Europe, that we would need to conduct a confirmatory study uh, to get approval. Uh, so we essentially focused in on Kiacta as our as our as our main business uh, and as what we wanted to really prioritize going forward. That's when I became directly involved with the company. Um, I, I worked hard to put in place the financing uh, to move Kiacta into that confirmatory phase three study. We ended up partnering with a very sophisticated group based out of New York called Ovin Therapeutics. Uh, they're a private equity fund that does biotech investing. Um, and essentially, during that period and during that time, became very comfortable with the with the risk return associated with rare disease drugs and the development of rare disease drugs, and essentially uh, was thereafter named as CEO to really build a company fully focusing on the rare on the rare disease space. It's been a changing environment for rare disease drug development. What makes this a better strategy, particularly for a, a small company with limited resources? Well, I think um, it, it's interesting when we take a step back and we look at uh, the amount of work and the drugs that have been developed in uh, in in the rare disease space. I think that uh, if you look at uh, just at where we were in the mid, if we really start way back, if we if we look at where we were in the mid 1980s, there were about 35 approved drugs for rare diseases at that time, um, and that's also the time uh, that the Orphan Drug Act uh, was passed in the U.S. to help promote the development uh, of uh, uh, of new drugs in in the rare disease space. The Orphan Drug Act uh, essentially put in place uh, significant. Uh, significant measures to help companies promote, uh, you know, develop these drugs, including regulatory benefits or advantages such as easier access to uh, uh, regulatory bodies at the at the FDA, uh, and also included uh, other significant benefits such as protection from generics for uh, seven years in the U.S. And this was also followed by legislation in in Europe and in Japan over the next decade. Well. 
over the next 20 years, um, you know, and on the basis really of, of those advantages, we're currently now at about 400 approved therapies. So we went from 35 to 400 approved therapies. Um, but we've really seen a big difference over the last 10 years. And that big difference has really been driven by um, important realizations in, on the commercial side of the business. Over the last 10 years, what we've, what we've realized as an industry uh, are two important commercial realizations. The first of which is that you can very efficiently market and sell uh, rare disease drugs. So rare disease patient populations tend to be quite homogeneous. They tend to be uh, found or in centers of excellence. So they, uh, And what that really means is that it costs a lot less or you can use very niche sales forces to go out and address these patient populations. So your cost of going to market is, is much reduced compared to, you know, big therapeutic indications like cardiovascular and, and diabetes. The second realization on the commercial side, I think, is, is even more important. Um, rare disease drugs currently get priced and reimbursed uh, at levels of over 100000 200000 even upwards and beyond $400,000 per patient per year. And what that really translates into is that these patient populations that can be 1,000 patients, 5,000 patients, um, can really, you know, th- those numbers of patients can really translate in, into hundreds of, million do- hundreds of millions of dollars of, of potential sales. So we've created a virtuous cycle where companies can, you know, companies can develop drugs for these tiny patient populations, um, and it's and it's these same small companies that can go out and market and sell these drugs because it costs less uh, to market and sell these drugs. Uh, they can create value uh, for both themselves and for their shareholders, and then they can reinvest that value into other uh, rare disease projects. What, what does the rest of your pipeline look like at this point? So for us, we have our lead uh, project, which is Kiacta, for uh, both AAM lidosis and for sarcoidosis. It's definitely the most uh, advanced project that we have uh, in our pipeline. But we do have a second project uh, in our pipeline or a, a second drug candidate in our pipeline called Chigamab for a disease called STEC-related hemolytic uremic syndrome. And um, that's that's a, a big name. We shorten it to SHUS. Um, but this is a very uh, a very lethal condition. Uh, it's actually caused by uh, E. coli infection. So probably a, a disease that many people do know. It's outbreak based, uh, foodborne illness, uh, and essentially about ninety percent of patients that get E. coli infection self resolve. So they may have some form of uh, they may have you know, some diarrhea, they may have uh, a fever, but they either never make it to the hospital uh, or even at the hospital self-resolve uh, at, at the hospital. Um, about 10% of patients with E. coli infection do get this kidney condition called SHUS. Uh, these patients have significant kidney damage. About 60% of them require dialysis, uh, and about 5 to 10% of them also die. It typically tends to affect children, um, and at the same time, these children also do have long-term issues with their uh, with their kidneys. So, very serious disease. Um, the E. coli is actually releasing a toxin, and that's where our drug is acting. 
that's actually acting at the level of the toxin. So we have a, a monoclonal antibody, uh, and this antibody essentially binds to and neutralizes and neutralizes the toxin. So right now we're actually preparing to move uh, this project uh, into uh, into a phase two study that we're that we're planning to start uh, in 2016. You know, it's interesting because we think so much of rare disease companies focusing on genetic-based diseases. You're looking at rare diseases that I would say are, are not genetically driven. Is, is there something significantly different in, in doing drug development in that way? I wouldn't say that it's significantly different. You just uh, you just might be approaching those diseases in a different way. A lot of the genetic diseases are actually trying to, or the, the treatments for those genetic diseases are actually trying to uh, replace enzymes uh, or affect the genes themselves uh, that may have a uh, you know that may have an issue. Um, the diseases that we're treating are very serious in nature, um, just like the genetic diseases are, and we're just we're just treating them possibly in a in a in a, in a slightly different and or or more uh, direct way. If all goes well, when do you hope to have the current study in Kiakta completed? In the case of Kiakta, uh, the phase three confirmatory studies. Uh, moving along quite rapidly. As I mentioned, that it's a very lengthy study. It's a study that's going to take overall about five and a half years, but a lot of the heavy lifting has been done already. Uh, it's a study that's uh, recruited 260 patients, so recruitment has completed, uh, and we're now waiting for a certain number of those patients to deteriorate uh, and essentially to have events linked to their kidney function deterioration. We're waiting for 120 out of the 260 patients to, to deteriorate. Uh, currently, we have uh, over 80 events or 80 patients that have deteriorated, and we're waiting for the last 40. We're expecting that to happen sometime uh, in the course of 2016. So we should be releasing data uh, to... Uh, both the patient community and the investor community in in 2016, uh, which means that hopefully this drug can make it to market and uh, make it to patients by 2017. Roberto Bellini, President and CEO of Bellis Health. Roberto, thanks so much for your time. Thank you. Thanks for listening. For more information about rare disease and to connect to the rare disease community, go to globalgenes.org. To keep up on the latest news and trends affecting the rare disease community, be sure to visit raredaily.org. You can subscribe to the Rarecast RSS feed through raredaily.org or through SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, or your preferred podcast manager. The Rarecast is produced for Global Genes by the Levine Media Group. You can also find our podcast, The Bio Report, on these popular podcast sites. Our theme music is composed by Jonah Levine and performed by the Jonah Levine Collective. We'd love to hear from you. Drop us a note at danny at levinemediagroup.com.